Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 15. Got only 11 games for Matt and I to talk about because there's the Thursday night game and then there's also Saturday games this week. And then, of course, the Monday night and the Sunday night game, which aren't on the slates anymore. So getting into it, the first game on the slate is the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. And this is actually a game that I like a pretty decent amount. So, Matt, what is the Vegas information for this game? Oh, funny you ask, because we we do not have any Vegas information. I guess Tyrod Taylor is listed as the starting That's quarterback. That's not that funny. Yeah, it's, not, it's really not that funny. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it just became funny somehow. Yeah, I, I think Tyrod Taylor is supposed to start, but it's not confirmed yet. So until he's, it's... Uh, he, he said today that he's definitely playing. Like, I don't know if that... Like, players are always going to say they have a better chance of playing than not, but he did say today, for what it's worth to me, that he's definitely playing on Sunday. Well, I, I think he's playing, and that definitely reinforces that. We can assume he's playing, but I guess Vegas isn't completely buying yet, buying it yet, so they just haven't put a line out. Yeah, I think uh, at 5400 that's really cheap for Tyrod Taylor. The other thing also is, obviously, he he's able to run for stats, so that helps him to be able to accumulate fantasy stats. His last few games, actually, he's had at least 25 rushing yards five games in a row. So it's a good boost to his fantasy production. Obviously, also a really good matchup against the Dolphins. He's at home. The Dolphins' defense by DVOA is... My page is loading again. And I have to scroll all the way down to the bottom. Uh, 25th. They're 25th, 26th against the pass, 14th against the run. So good spot for Tyrod Taylor. Uh, I probably wouldn't use LaShawn McCoy in this matchup just because Miami's better against the run. As for Buffalo's receivers, uh, Calvin Benjamin is currently listed as questionable. I think that he would make some sense in a stack with Tyrod Taylor if he plays, but I'm also fine with using Tyrod Taylor just naked. And then from the Dolphins, I think Kenyon Drake is just a really good running back. At 5,800, he's going to be one of the players I have the most exposure to this weekend. I think he's a really good play against a bad Buffalo Bills run defense that's also been worse in recent weeks since getting rid of Marcel Darius. Yeah, the Marcel Darius factor has such massive implications for both the Bills, who he was traded from, and the Jaguars, who he was traded to. I think the Bills were in the top half of the league in run defense before they got rid of him. Now they're at 24th. So it's a really good matchup for Drake. But the Bills' pass defense has been decent, so I don't really have much interest in Jay Cutler and the Dolphins' passing game. And I think the Dolphins' receivers have actually gotten a bit more expensive. Uh, Jarvis Landry's at 6,100. That's about what he's been. But Kenny Stills is all the way up to 5,000. Devontae Parker could be worth a flyer at 4,200. But it really seems like his role has been really diminished, so I don't know. He's very talented, but... He's just he hasn't been that much of a focal point of their offense. So I guess Landry's usable, but that's about it. So the the players for this game that I like, yeah, it's Drake, and then I think Tyrod Taylor is usable. Uh, I don't like Lashawn McCoy either. I think there are better running backs to pay up for, and the Dolphins are be- uh, better against the run, like you said. So Taylor and Drake make the most sense, but I also think you could use the Bills' defense because the Dolphins' offense isn't very good either. Um, it's just kind of hard if you're using Kenyon Drake and then you also want to use the Bills' defense because Cutler can be turnover-prone and might be a little bit overvalued after he just beat the Patriots. I, I think it could be a good spot for Buffalo's D, but obviously you're not going to use them with Drake. Uh, I definitely lean towards the Drake side of things, but I could see myself using the Bills in lineups where I don't have him. 
Yeah, I just think 3300 is a bit too expensive for them. Like, if they were somewhere in the mid-2000s, I think I'd be more inclined to use them. But as much as I like Drake and then the price of the Bills' defense, I'm, I'm not going to use them at all. And Drake will be in a lot of my lineups this weekend. It's hard to say the exact number at this point in time. We don't know what kind of value is going to be up. But as of now, I think Drake's an awesome play. Next game on the slate, Green Bay Packers, the Carolina Panthers. Aaron Rodgers is expected to play this week. I, I don't know necessarily that it's been 100% confirmed that he's playing. I think just right now they said he's going to be active and he's expected to play. So I'd say it's like 95% that Rodgers plays. So big upgrade, obviously, to the Packers. Uh, to the Packers, just everything. Their passing game, the run game. So what um, is, is there a line for this game, Matt? I think, I remember, yeah, there is one you said, right? Yeah, there is a line. It's moved around a lot. It's probably off the board if you actually wanted to go and bet it, but we do have the information at hand, even if it's not available at a Vegas sports book. So the line opened Panthers minus two. It moved all the way to minus six, and that was when it looked like Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to play. And then we had an update a few days ago that made it sound like he probably will play. So the line has gone back down from six all the way to two and a half or three, somewhere in between. I think it would drop further if Rodgers plays, and the total has gone up from 44.5 to 47. This kind of looks like a middle line where there's a 70 or 80% chance that Rodgers is playing, and I think we can kind of trust Vegas here that that is roughly the probability that Rodgers is playing. Um, the Packers might just decide that there's no need to use him because their playoff hopes are kind of a long shot at this point. Uh, they're still mathematically in the race, but it's not that likely that they make it. So maybe they do just decide to hold Rodgers out. If he's playing, though, I think the Packers are in a really good spot this week. And the receivers are cheaper. Well, they haven't been priced up to be playing with Rodgers. They were priced as though they're going to be playing with Brett Hundley. Uh, so that makes all of the receivers a good value play. I don't really know if I like Rodgers himself. I think he works for game stacks and he works for quarterback-wide receiver correlation. So maybe there's a little bit of value in his price tag, but I don't think there's a ton. Yeah, so here's the here's the guy who I like the most from the Packers offense. It's Jordy Nelson at 6,300. He has been the Packers' second receiver for a little while now. Devontae Adams is their number one. But Nelson was the number one receiver when Rodgers was the quarterback. So Nelson at 6,300 I just think is too cheap, especially because we know that Rodgers likes to throw to him in the red zone a lot. So I think there's a lot of touchdown upside for Jordy Nelson at 6,300. Uh, Nelson has not scored a touchdown since week five, and that was right around when Rodgers got hurt. Nelson had six touchdowns the first five games of the season and has not scored since then. So I think it's fairly reasonable to expect Nelson to score a touchdown this weekend and a lot of upside in his current price tag, even though the matchup isn't ideal. It's just more Rodgers' back and what the prices are. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. If I Even if I don't use Rodgers, uh, assuming he's playing – I definitely think Jordy Nelson is one of the stronger wide receiver value plays, assuming that Rodgers is in there. And then there's also the point on the Panthers' defense that we talked about last week that I'll bring up again because it's really relevant. Uh, the Panthers are second in DVOA against tight ends, but they're actually only an average defense against both number one and number two wide receivers. So they're good at interior defense. They shut down tight ends. I think they're also pretty good at running, defending running backs out of the backfield, but their cornerbacks have not been very good this year. So they are definitely beatable through the air. And if you need evidence of that, I think the Jets actually had a ton of passing yards against them two weeks ago. The Vikings did pretty well against them the most recent week. And there's been a couple other games where the Panthers' past defense has struggled. So 
it's not a negative matchup at all. I, I guess it's probably a neutral one for the Packers receivers and Jordy Nelson, especially underpriced in a neutral matchup. That's a pretty awesome play. Yeah. And then also the prices on Thielen, Diggs and Keenum last week combined are roughly the same price of what you could get Nelson, Adams and Rogers for this week, who I would consider to be a, a more talented trio than the other three. So Next game for us to talk about, Baltimore Ravens at the Cleveland Browns. I'll be interested to see if people go back to Josh Gordon this week. He had a decent fantasy game last week. He was one of the highest owned players on the slate. But in reality, he had three catches for 68 yards. He just scored a touchdown one of those catches. It really wasn't a great game, and he's a much tougher matchup this week. So I'm kind of curious, are people going to go back to him at the increased price tag? People do really seem to like Josh Gordon. Uh, what is the over-under and the spread for this game, Matt? Well, hold on. This is going to be pretty bad for continuity, but I do want to go back to the Packers game for a second because if you're using the Packers, I think there also is some intrigue with the Panthers side of the game. Um, do you have interest in Cam Newton or, and Christian McCaffrey? Because I think they're both a little bit underpriced, and I think they would work in a full game stack. And then I guess we can go back to Ravens-Browns if there's not much to talk about there. Um, McCaffrey, not really. Uh, let me just look at his games real quick. Like he just the ceiling isn't high enough on McCaffrey. Uh, if you look at his games, uh, eight, sixteen, eleven, twenty, twenty, ten, eleven. He just doesn't do enough for me to to use him. I don't think that the ceiling's high enough, and the the floor is pretty low. Also, yeah, and I also think there are other running backs priced right around him that are better values. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that for people who are confused why we only talked about the Packers side of the game. Uh, but moving on to the Ravens. I'm just pulling up the Vegas information here. So the Ravens opened as nine-point favorites. The line is actually down to seven now. The Browns kind of just by default have to be undervalued at this point. They basically just don't cover any spreads. They haven't won a game yet this year. So the betting public is it. You've done well if you've bet against the Browns this year in every game. I'll just say that. But I think you've done well if you've bet against the Browns every game for like five years. Yeah, the Browns. Um, I think the stat was that. They haven't been a profitable team to bet on in like 13 years or something. Like they've had a negative against the spread record some insane number of years in a row. And I think that that makes intuitive sense because they never win. Uh, it's, it's really just been rough for all people associated with the Browns. But I do sort of like them for DFS this week. The over-under for this game is 40, but the public isn't really biased towards the over. It actually looks like there could be some sharp money on the over. And the main reason for that is that Jimmy Smith is out for the Ravens. He tore his Achilles a couple weeks ago. So it's a big boost to Josh Gordon's fantasy potential. I think the issue then is just the ownership. Because even though Gordon might be a little overpriced. And the quarterback. Well, I I think Kaiser, just by throwing to Gordon so often, could make him serviceable. And the Browns probably will be trailing based on game flow here. So the Browns could end up with a lot of pass attempts. So it's not like Gordon and Coleman won't get targets. It's just... Kaiser is bound to be very inefficient, but it isn't as bad of a matchup as it looks on paper just looking at the Ravens' defensive numbers because the loss of Jimmy Smith is a huge one. Um, I think I would maybe use Corey Coleman but not Josh Gordon just because the ownership will be so much higher on Gordon, and Coleman was actually the better receiver. He had more catches for about the same amount of yards and also had a touchdown last week, and he probably will go overlooked. So I, I don't think he's a bad play. I think you could use him with Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, I mean, it, it is still, even without Jimmy Smith, I'd consider it a difficult matchup just because the Ravens are still number one in defensive DVOA, second against the pass, eighth against the run. 
Uh, I would be more inclined to use Coleman than Gordon, just because I think at forty four hundred, that, that's a pretty that's a pretty decent price discrepancy. And as good as Gordon has been when he's been able to play, Corey Coleman's been pretty good also. So if you look at even target shares, uh, Gordon six targets last week, Coleman also six targets. The week before, Coleman only four targets to Gordon's 11. But still, I, I don't think that the target share is going to be so much greater to Josh Gordon. And for the price, I'd rather roster Coleman. But I don't really like either of them a whole bunch, personally. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think I'll use Gordon, but I think I might use some Coleman. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of using the Browns in this spot, but I think, I think they are usable. Um, and then for the Ravens, I think Alex Collins could be the highest on running back this week. Uh, I guess it kind of depends what Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram are. But of the cheap running backs, I think it'll definitely be Alex Collins, who just had a massive game in Pittsburgh against the Steelers. And he's priced at 5000 and he's going against a Browns defense that, I'm pretty sure I have it right this time, is good against the run and bad against the pass. But I think a lot of number people... Number one. Number one against the run. So I think a lot of people will look at this and say, the Ravens are favored. Game flow should dictate that Alex Collins has a lot of carries. I think the weather could be an issue in this game, too. I'm not 100% sure on that because weather forecasts this far out are just, it's hard to tell which ones are right, and I don't know. But it is Cleveland in late December, so it it, it might be an issue. Um, but because the Browns are so good against the run, I think that that makes it a really tough matchup for Alex Collins, even if he is getting more carries than usual because the Ravens are winning. And I think he'll be high-owned, so I think he's a notable fade because he'll be probably one of the more popular running backs this week. Yeah, I wouldn't say that he's a total fade for me just because he's had so much volume and he's getting so many red zone carries and the price is still cheap. I'll say there's a good chance I'm underweight on the field, but he still could probably end up making some of my lineups. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think just underweight on, compared to the field is definitely the way to go, even if you do want to use a little of him because it is a good value at that price tag. But I also think with Danny Woodhead healthy and Buck Allen there too, maybe the volume just happens to decrease, even though the Ravens haven't said that the volume will decrease. Um, I guess the potential is there because the Ravens do have a good running back trio. So maybe Collins just ends up losing some carries because they have other options. We haven't really seen a ton of Danny Woodhead this season, but he's been dealing with injuries. Maybe uh, as he's more and more healthy, he starts getting more of a workload. So that is a bit of a concern, I think. Um, If you had to target one side of the Ravens offense, I think the passing game would make more sense, but they'll probably just run a lot and Joe Flacco just hasn't been good this year. So I think I'm just entirely off the Ravens' offense. All right. The next game, I don't know if there's ever been a defense that I liked in a single game all year. The Houston Texans at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars' defense has been ridiculous for DFS this year. The Houston Texans, Tom Savage is likely not going to play. TJ Yates is going to play. I don't, I don't even really think of that as some upgrade for the Jacksonville defense. It's kind of more of a neutral move. But it's more just... T.J. Yates is a bad quarterback. Tom Savage is a bad quarterback. Whichever one of them ends up playing, it's a really good spot for the Jaguars' defense. And, I mean, this is just a spot where I think they should just be able to destroy them. I don't think that there's too much to talk about here other than that. I like the Jaguars' defense, and I like Leonard Fournette. Do you have much of a different take than that, Matt? Well, I do think that T.J. Yates could actually be a negative change for the Jaguars because he probably will run more than Tom Savage and because he's— had less time playing this year, they might be more careful and just want to run the ball more, hand off more to Lamar Miller and go with more of a conservative game plan. So there could be less opportunities for sacks and turnovers. 
But I don't think that's enough to not use the Jaguars' defense. It's still a really strong spot for them. Uh, I like their defense a lot. And the public is actually seemingly biased towards the Houston side. 51% of the spread bets have been on the Texans so far. Uh, I really don't know what that's about. It's not like the Texans have played well at all since Deshaun Watson got hurt or even since J.J. Watt got hurt. So, I, I, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I don't actually think it'll be reflected too much in DFS ownership. I think Fournette and the Jaguars defense will both be pretty chalky, but I think there is a lot of value there anyway. So I have some interest there, probably a lot of interest there. Um, I don't know, 4500 for a defense is just so much, but it is by far the highest expected output. And I guess my other concern, it's not too much of a concern, is that I have some interest in Wolf Fuller on the Texans, so if you're using a, an opposing receiver, then it would automatically have you lighter on that opposing defense. Uh, Fuller's at 3,500, and with DeAndre Hopkins being shadowed by Jalen Ramsey, most likely, then Fuller probably will get more targets than usual, and 3,500 is just too cheap with a guy for as much big play potential. And the Jaguars' defense is really just not that good outside of covering number one receivers. Uh, they've been kind of average in DVOA against all other spots. So there is some upside for Fuller, but I think what's more important is that it definitely makes sense to fade DeAndre Hopkins. All right, next game on the slate is the fast-falling Cincinnati Bengals at the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, from, I mean, the Bengals side of the game, I'm trying to look. There's been some talk about Andy Dalton possibly being benched this week. Is there is there a line for this game? Yeah, there is. Uh I think Dalton's actually been bad enough this year that a switch to A.J. McCarron wouldn't affect the line that much. But I, I don't think it's that likely that Dalton gets benched anyway. So the speculation of that benching moved the line. I think it was from minus 10 to minus 11.5 for the Vikings. And now it's just at minus 10.5. So it's just it's not really moving much. But the Vikings are big favorites, and it's a really good matchup for them. The Bengals are pretty beat up on defense. They're kind of beat up on offense, too. Joe Mixon was out last week. I think he's probably still out this week. Uh, Double-checking on that. But, yeah, this is, a, this is a game where the Vikings should do well. I guess I don't love their passing game because the receivers are a little pricey, and at running back, Murray and McKinnon are splitting carries. But I think you could use Jarek McKinnon. I don't, I don't think it's a bad spot for him. Yeah, I think that Stefan Diggs at 5,800 is a pretty reasonable play. Thielen's price has gotten really up, but... If you look at Diggs' last few games, he had 10 targets last week, 5 the week before, 7 the week before that. And the Bengals' defense is currently, um, where are they? They're 19th in DVOA, 19th against the pass, 18th against the run. But they were a top, like, 6 defense through the first portion of the season. They've just been terrible the last few weeks. So it's a defense that's trending down that's probably worse than what those numbers indicate. So I think that Case Keenum to Stefan Diggs is... Uh, a correlation that makes some sense for a stack. Yeah, I think so too. And I think you could use Keenum with McKinnon also because McKinnon catches plenty of passes. So maybe you want to use Keenum and McKinnon and Diggs together. Uh, on Joe Mixon, he is questionable with that concussion. So Giovanni Bernard has been priced up to 5300 I guess that makes him probably too expensive to be a good value at this point. Yeah, I think if I was going to get in that price range, I'd just rather use Kenyon Drake. I'd rather use Carlos Hyde, who we'll talk about later. I'd rather use Alex Collins for cheaper. Um, so, yeah, I think there's just better plays in that price range for me. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And that's probably it for this game. Uh, actually, do you think the Vikings defense 
Is there enough correlation with McKinnon to use them together? Or I guess the Vikings defense might just be a good play on their own anyway. Uh, it's still the... I, I mean, I, I guess they're okay, but I mean, still you have the issue of the Vikings defense is 3,500 and average six fantasy points per game this year. The Jaguars defense is 4,500 and average 14 fantasy points per game this year. And the Jaguars defense is a better matchup. So... To me, it's just that it's hard for me to use any defense that's like in the mid to high 3,000 range when I can just go up to the Jaguars. Yeah, I think that probably is true. It's real. It's going to be hard. I think it's going to be in- impossible to talk you out of using the Jaguars defense. I think by the end of this, I may not even be able to talk myself out of it either. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even if you just think of it that way, that the, the baseline points for the Jaguars defense is eight points higher than the Vikings defense. For a thousand more salary, and it's a better matchup. Yeah, there is one more defense that we haven't mentioned yet that I think could be a better play than the Jaguars, but I guess we'll get to that one when we get there. All right, the next game is the Saints at the Jets. Um, I would assume that this is one of the most one-sided spreads of the week. Is that correct? Uh, one of the most one-sided spreads of the year. It's by far the most one-sided spread this week. The line is at 16, and the public is actually on the Jets' side. The line has moved from minus 15 to minus 16 for New Orleans. It's really hard to not want to roster Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara in a game where the Saints almost definitely will have a late lead. And I think there's pretty good correlation with the running backs and New Orleans defense. I think that'll be pretty popular. But the issue is just that Kamara and Ingram have to split carries, and they're both really expensive now. So I just don't see how they can continue to have really good fantasy production. And it's not like they've both been good every single week. They've both been good most weeks. Uh, Kamara obviously wasn't good in the game where he got injured against Atlanta. But for two running backs on the same team to both be priced over 8000 that just it still seems really insane. Yeah, I think I would say it's not impossible for them to have a, a good game. And I think that if Le'Veon Bell wasn't on the slate at home playing against the Patriots, then I would be more inclined to use Kamara Ingram. But personally, I prefer Le'Veon Bell this week. Yeah, I definitely do too. And we talked about this before we started. I think we were both pretty strongly on the same page on the Le'Veon Bell front compared to the Saints running back. So I think that's a pretty easy decision for both of us. And Bell may even be lower owned than either of those Saints guys also. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a good matchup for Ingram and Kamara. They're going to have game flow in their favor. Um I would use Kamara over Ingram if you wanted to choose one of them, but still it's Bell over both of them for me personally. The next game on the slate, the Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Giants. Obviously the big news from this game is Carson Wentz on the injured reserve out for the year with the uh, torn ACL. So with that said, how much has that moved the line? Because I assume that the Giants are still not expected to win this game. It actually hasn't really moved the line much. Um, but I think, well, here, here's how I feel about it. The Eagles opened at minus eight. And I think if Wentz were playing, the line would have gone up. So maybe we could have expected the line to rise from minus eight to minus nine or minus 10 if Wentz was playing because of public bias on the Eagles, public bias very strongly against the Giants. And I don't know if we we even have to call it bias. It's probably justified. Uh, but the line has actually moved from minus eight to only minus seven, so while that's only a one-point drop, I think it's actually a three- or four-point drop relative to, or I guess a two- or three-point drop relative to where it would have been if Wentz were the quarterback. So Vegas is probably placing about a two- or three-point difference 
between Wentz and Foles. It's not a lot, and I definitely don't think it means the Giants are going to win this game. Uh, the Giants might be a little bit undervalued by the betting public, but the Eagles' defense is still a really strong play this week. I mean, Eli Manning is very turnover-prone. He's just kind of bad uh, playing in windy MetLife Stadium in the winter is uh, not a good recipe for success when you throw wobbly non-spirals like Eli Manning does. I don't know how much weight we're putting on that, but it's it's always a good matchup for a defense to go against the Giants this season, and the Eagles' defense has been really good. So I think you could argue that it's a better defensive play than Jacksonville. Yeah, I still prefer Jacksonville. <laughs> uh, but one thing that I do think makes some sense is Jay Ajayi got 15 carries last week, which is the most carries that he's had since coming to the Eagles. So when we consider that Nick Foles is starting instead of Carson Wentz, the Eagles will probably be more inclined to run the ball. They're likely to be leading the game against the Giants. I I think that this sets up as a pretty good spot for Jay Ajayi, who might be somebody who kind of goes under the radar. And it's a a good matchup, obviously, for him also against the Giants. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, If you're go to play the Eagles defense, which I definitely will at least a little bit. I don't think I'm as high on you, as high as you on the Jaguars. I do like them and they might be my favorite defense, but I think some Eagles exposure makes sense. And I think it also makes sense if you're using Jai there's clear correlation there. So I think both those plays are good independently and they're even more sensible if you're combining them. All right. The next game we have Arizona at Washington. Uh, something that is not going to move the spread for this game, but it looks like Adrian Peterson is likely going to miss the rest of the season. Yeah, that's not going to affect the point spread. Yes. And with there being uh, not a lot of uh, market for his services, I I think that it's very likely that this is the end of Adrian Peterson's NFL career. So with that said, who's favored to win this game? Uh, the Redskins were minus six. The Lions actually moved against them to minus four and a half. So maybe Adrian Peterson not playing actually helps the Cardinals. Maybe they're better off without him. I think it. I think the real issue, though, is that the Redskins' offense just hasn't been very good since Jordan Reed and Chris Thompson have been hurt. And the over-under for this game moving from 44 down to 43 kind of reflects that also. This is a pretty uninteresting game overall, I think. Um, I just don't, I don't think there's a lot of expected output for either team's offense, but... I don't know, maybe there's some cheaper guys that are worth using. What do you think here? I think with Adrian Peterson out, I think Kerwin Williams makes a little bit of sense. He's priced all the way down to 4000 He had 16 carries two weeks ago, 20 carries last week. So I think at 4000 I wouldn't say that he's like a terrific play, but I think there's value in a price tag for any running back that's getting that much volume in a decent matchup. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and it's not, yeah, it's not an easy matchup. But it's not really a difficult one either. The Redskins are 12th in defensive DVOA, but they're 20th against the run. It's kind of just a whatever matchup. I think you could use Kerwin Williams, but um, actually, having said that, what I was talking about on the Redskins offense, I think you could use Kerwin Williams with the Cardinals defense. I think there is some value there at 2,900, but that is assuming that you want to go elsewhere after the Jaguars defense. Uh, But if the Jaguars defense and maybe even the Eagles defense didn't exist this week, then I think the Cardinals defense could be one of the better plays. Well, the defenses do exist this week. I don't like (laughs) if there's if if there's an earthquake where the stadiums collapse or just the teams disappear. Both games get canceled. Could happen. Other than that. uh, Other than that, off of them. Uh, Next game on the slate, moving into the late games, three games left. Rams at Seahawks. This should be a really entertaining game to watch. Uh, does this one have the highest over/under of the week? 
let's see. Rams at Seahawks is at 47 and a half. I think that that is... Oh, no, we do, we do have the Patriots game, which we'll get to. That's, that's oh, the highest. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, never mind. Yeah, it's um, tied with the Saints game at 47 and a half. The Packers game is in that area, too. Uh, but, yeah, the Patriots game is higher. It should be a pretty high-scoring game, though. The public is actually on the under for the over-under. 65% of the spread bets or the total bets are on the under, but 88% of the total dollars are on the over. So it's a pretty strong indicator that there's sharp money on the over. I don't really know if you can do much with that, though. Um, the Seahawks, I mean, Russell Wilson's in play. It's not the easiest matchup, but their targets have been spread around a lot. So maybe Wilson by himself makes sense, but the Rams are third in pass defense DVOA. So I think really where you'd have to go here is Mike Davis at running back. And then for the Rams, I think you, I think their passing offense is in play, but they're just a little more expensive than some of the other teams that I think are good values. So it's kind of unfortunate that there is some bias against using passing offenses here, but I don't think there's a ton of value in using the passing games. I think it really just is Mike Davis. And Todd Gurley probably should do well, but I think he's overpriced and will be way over-owned also. Oh, what do you think of Robert Woods? Because I think he's a decent play. Woods is at 5,700. Remember, Woods was playing ridiculously well before he got injured, and he's playing this week. Woods' last three games before the injury, 23 fantasy points, 40 fantasy points, 16 fantasy points. His price has gone from 6000 down to 5700 He was the Rams' most expensive receiver. Now Cooper Cup is the most expensive, with Woods being the second. Uh, I think Woods at 5700 is a pretty decent play. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good play, too. Uh, I'm with you there. And I'm just kind of scanning for possible ways to stack the game, actually, because if you do want to go that route, the Goff to... Robert Woods' connection is sort of a cheap one. Um, and then if you want to put any Seahawks players in there for correlation, uh, I kind of hate to say it because I recommended him so strongly last week and he literally didn't have a catch. But Jimmy Graham costs 4900 That's a really cheap price for him. I think it, it is probably a good strategy to go with a mini stack of Goff and uh, Robert Woods and Jimmy Graham. Or I guess you could even go with Wilson with Graham and then Woods from the other side. Yeah, and then uh, maybe even Paul Richardson at 4,600. Uh, Tyler Lockett's at 4,100. He always has big play upside, although the targets haven't been there for him recently after he went 8-8-7 the next few games, 2-5-1-2-5. Paul Richardson's targets last few games, 7-4-7-8. So I think that's pretty good target volume for 4,600. Uh, so if you want to stack the game, I don't mind throwing him in either. Uh, I'm just going to look at Jimmy Graham real quick. Who's getting more targets between the two of them? Well, Jimmy Graham did not have a lot of targets last week, and the reason for that is because Russell Wilson threw three 70-yard touchdown passes, so the Seahawks just had really short drives. It's kind of the same thing that happened to Kareem Hunt against the Jets, where because Tyreek Hill was scoring so quickly, there were, and Travis Kelsey scored quickly a couple times, it just kind of took away all the possible production from everyone else. The Seahawks didn't have a lot of time with the ball, so Jimmy Graham only ended that game with two targets, but it is a little concerning that he only had four targets the week before and six the week before that. It's been a couple weeks since he had a really big target game. He had 11 four weeks ago. So his targets have been trending downward. I guess that is a concern. Maybe there's good reason why his price is so low. Yeah, um, I think if you're rostering Jimmy Graham, you're looking for the touchdown because he has nine scores this year. So he's pretty touchdown dependent. But I think if you're looking for a high-scoring game, maybe that makes sense because he does get a lot of targets in the red zone when they get there. Uh, that's one of the other reasons. Not only did, did uh, Russell Wilson have the long touchdown passes, but most of Jimmy Graham's targets here have come in the red zone. 
So right. I think uh, the Seahawks touchdown passes. There's not the opportunity to get in the red zone, throw the ball to Jimmy Graham. Yeah. I think the Seahawks might've actually run zero plays in the Jaguars red zone last week. Uh, either zero or very few. I, I don't remember exactly, but yeah, that does not bode well for Jimmy Graham. They're probably, there's probably some value there just because I think everyone will overlook him now after that complete dud. And he's had a couple duds in a row now. Yep, and I'm just also looking. There really aren't a lot of great tight end plays this week, so maybe that makes Jimmy Graham a little bit more in play. Um, actually, is uh, Zach Ertz is expected back for the Eagles, so. Well, the Giants, yeah, we didn't mention him, him, but. but yeah, I, I'm just kind of trying to figure out like what tight ends, because we haven't really talked about much of them this week. Uh, well, Gronkowski's in the next game, the Patriots-Steelers game, so what is the total for this game? Because that is the highest one you'd said before. Yep, the total for this game is 53. Uh, that's where it opened. It's just kind of holding steady. The Patriots are three-point favorites. It doesn't really look like that line's inflated, actually. I think it's a fair line. The public is really split. I think there's public sentiment towards the Patriots and the Steelers, and there's no real bias at all. So the Patriots do have a bit of an advantage here, but I think we're, we'll be looking more towards the Steelers' side of the game from a fantasy perspective because they have a much more uh, concentrated way in their way their targets are spurred around. Yeah, I think uh, from the Patriots passing game, I think Chris Hogan makes a little bit of sense. Hogan is priced at 5500 now. He made his uh, last game was his first game back from a shoulder injury, five targets against the Dolphins. It was just an uncharacteristically bad Patriots game. Um, I think most people would call it a trap game. Uh, <laughs> I, it's kind of been something that's been disproven, except it is still a spot where the Patriots, for whatever reason, historically have not played well in Miami. They are playing in New England the next the next week, so maybe it was a spot where they were looking ahead a little bit with a short week playing on Monday night and then the next Sunday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But Chris Hogan, before he got hurt, was priced at 7000 So to see him down at 5500 now in a game that's expected of so many points, I think that that's a pretty decent situation for him. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, I think, makes sense to pay up at tight end all the way at 7100 And then from the Steelers' side of the game, I think it's really tough to say who's the better play between Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. I'm leaning towards Antonio Brown right now just because I think that there's more running back plays that I like in the 5,000 range than there are wide receiver plays. So I just think it makes more sense to pay up at wide receiver for Antonio Brown. And Matt and I were talking before about how good Le'Veon Bell's been recently. Antonio Brown's been even better than Le'Veon Bell. So the last four games for Antonio Brown, 45 fantasy points, 44 fantasy points, 27 fantasy points, and 35 fantasy points. So who do you prefer between Bell and Brown, Matt? I think I prefer Bell. Um, And there could be some weather issues. We looked this up before we started. There's probably going to be some light rain. It's not really a factor, but it could potentially become a factor if the rain ends up being heavier than anticipated. But even a little bit, I think, is at the very least just a tiny bit of a downgrade to the passing game, and maybe it causes the Steelers to run the ball a bit more. So maybe that swings the pendulum a little bit more towards Bell's side. It's really hard to say, though. I think I'll definitely roster both. Um, I think they're both too expensive, though, to use Roethlisberger and then use both of them and then just stack the Steelers' offense. It's by far the most expensive offense if you want to stack a quarterback and then the two go the two go-to pass catchers. So I don't think I'll go that route, but yeah, it, it's definitely worth having both of them because this should be a really high-scoring game. The Patriots' defense is really bad, and I mean, 
I guess it's a game that matters to the Steelers more, so they're going to be less inclined to give any snaps to backups. I'm not sure how much of a factor that is because Bell and Brown play almost every down anyway. It's just a really good spot for them in general is the bottom line, and I think you de- you certainly can use both of them. I'll probably just be alternating which one I like more ba- based on the lineup construction that I have around them. Yeah, well, they're playing for the number one seed in the AFC, so it is a pretty important game for both teams, uh, especially for the Steelers' side because Ben Roethlisberger has been so much worse historically on the road than he has been at home. So I think that both teams are probably going to you know, really be going heavy with all of their starters for the entire game, and I don't think there's going to be a situation where a team's looking to run the ball out late in the game. I think that both these teams are going to be trying to score and put as many points on the board as possible. So a definite shootout spot. Uh, maybe somebody else who makes some sense is Juju Smith-Schuster, who's coming back from suspension. He's only 5400 So I, I think that he's a reasonable salary save option at wide receiver. He's had a 35 fantasy point game and a 21 fantasy point game so far this year. So anybody else do you think that's a decent play? No, I do agree with you on the Patriots side, though. I didn't mention them. I think Chris Hogan does make some sense. Uh, I think Gronk makes some sense. I'll probably be avoiding the Patriots running back situation, though. It's it's too many too many different guys that could potentially be involved. Their prices, I think, have all come up in recent weeks, and there are some pretty good uh, mid-range running backs to use on this slate, so I don't really have any interest there. All right, last game on the slate, the Tennessee Titans at the San Francisco 49ers. So once again, we have an ideal matchup for Marcus Mariota. Is he going to suck again this week, Matt? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh, I think that he might, but I think that they're... It's a lot oh, of conviction. Oh, man. I don't have any conviction. I think that's that's the most important point I want to get across. But I do think you could stack this game easily, not because Mariota's cheap. He's at 5900 which is just sort of a fair price, I think. But his receivers are really cheap. So if Mariota does well, I think you could have that positive correlation with some underpriced receivers. I think those receivers kind of make sense to play independently of Mariota in other stacks just as plug-in plays. So Corey Davis is at 4,100. Richard Matthews is at 5,300. And then Delaney Walker, I think, is one of the better tight end plays at 5,200. So I have interest there. And then the Niners, Jimmy Garoppolo is priced at... I just had it up and lost it. Okay, 6,300 and Marquise Goodwin is at 6,000. I think that actually is too expensive for the Niners. So that might have me off a game stack a little bit. But I also think that'll have everyone else off stacking this game because it's two bad teams and it looks like the Niners might be overpriced. So if you go with the Titans guys, it it does save some salary where you could use Niners guys too. I don't think I'll do a ton of this, but I think it is one of the more stackable games on the slate. Yeah, so from the Titans side, the targets just haven't been there for Corey Davis recently. Uh, Six targets, four targets, four targets over the last three weeks. For Rashard Matthews, uh, five targets, six targets, seven, seven in the last few games. Delaney Walker has been the guy getting the most targets, nine, five, five, nine, nine over the last few weeks. So Delaney Walker, 5,200, I think makes for a really strong tight end play. I would rather use Matthews than Corey Davis if I had to pick one of the wide receivers, and I will probably put Marcus Mariota into a couple of lineups this week <laughs> just because the 49ers' defense is so bad. Their offense plays at such a fast pace. I think there's upside there. They haven't been able to stop anybody. I, I don't have any confidence in Mariota, and he's definitely not somebody I'm going to have a ton of exposure to. But if you're going to ask me who's worse, Mariota or the 49ers defense, 
I lean towards the 49ers defense being worse, and there's no conversation about which one of them is better for me. Well, I think the public actually leans toward leans toward Mariota being worse. The over-under bets are 83% on the under, which is the most of any game this week. Generally speaking, when the public is that heavy on an under, the over wins out. Uh, the line is very deflated at 44. I think with two bad defenses, it should be a higher scoring game than that. And the Niners offense is better with Garoppolo. So maybe if they're scoring quicker, then that opens up more plays for Mariota to have. But no matter what you think of the game, I think Carlos Hyde is the obvious value play at 5,500 at running back, just as he is every week. Yeah, definitely. And Hyde's been good. He's been getting a lot of volume. And then the other point, too, with the 49ers defense 28th in DVOA, 29th against the pass. And then what that doesn't take into consideration is that they played a really fast pace. So there's more plays in the game. So that means more fantasy production. Uh, let me look at one final one final thought on this game. And this is actually the last game for the slate. Is just Let's look at how bad Marcus Mariota has been before we sign off here. So Mariota, the last few games, five fantasy points. Sweet. 18 fantasy points and nine fantasy points. And in some good matchups, too. Indianapolis, Houston, Arizona, not quite as good. But those other two matchups, to have, I mean, to have nine fantasy points against the Colts, that's a pretty shitty outcome. So that is going to finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GArenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. We'll be back with a basketball podcast tomorrow.